Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 In the year of the death of King Uzziah, I see the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and his train is filling the temple. This is a famous verse in the Bible. This is where Isaiah first saw a vision of Jesus, and he saw Jesus on the throne in heaven. King Uzziah was the first king that Isaiah was a prophet under. He was a prophet under four different kings. Now it says Jesus was on a throne, and there's no throne in the earthly temple. That's how we know that he was seeing a vision of heaven. It was the Lord that says his train is filling the temple. The train is the long robe that is behind a king when he's walking, and the longer the robe, the more powerful the king. When a king conquered another, he would cut off part of that king's robe, and then he would have it sewn onto his robe. So his robe would get longer based on how many other kings he had conquered. And in the New Testament, Jesus is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because there's no king on earth that's above him. And that's why in this vision, his train filled the entire temple. It was so long that it actually filled the temple. And that is colossal. When we look at Westminster Abbey and the kings and queens and princesses walking down the aisle with their long trains, that is nothing compared to a train that fills the entire temple. That's unfathomable. And it shows us that he really has power and authority over every king who has ever lived. Two seraphs are standing above it. Six wings hath each one. With two each covereth its face, and with two each covereth its feet, and with two each flieth. The real angels are modest, and the real Jesus Christ is modest. The only time Jesus showed skin beyond his face, hands, and feet is two times. One was when he disrobed partially to wash the disciples' feet, and in that case it was only the twelve disciples. There were no other disciples there, and there were no women. The Last Supper, the Bible shows us, only had Jesus and the twelve in attendance. The second time he showed skin was when he let Thomas touch his side after he was resurrected, so that Thomas would believe that it was really him. And he was showing a lot of grace to Thomas in that. And again, he was alone with just the twelve disciples. Jesus is extremely modest, and that was one of the reasons why it was humiliating for him to be on the cross, because when he was on the cross, he was stripped naked. So that was the only time that he unwillingly showed skin, and that was part of his humiliation, was to be naked on the cross. And nakedness in the Bible represents sin. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately knew that they were naked, and they were ashamed of it. Before that, they didn't know they were naked, because before that, they had never sinned. And in Revelation, it tells us that nobody in heaven will be naked. We'll get to these verses, but they are in the Bible. The Bible tells us that nobody in heaven will be naked. And it also tells us in Revelation that when Jesus appears, all you can see as far as skin is his face, hands, and feet, and nothing else. His robe covers his entire body from neck to ankles to wrists. 
So we know that when we go up to heaven in robes of righteousness, our garment will be the same. It will cover us from neck to wrists to ankles. The pagan and the heathen cherubs that the Catholic Church and others have come up with are always fat, naked angels. And there is no nakedness in heaven. Nakedness does not exist there. And here is more proof in Isaiah. It says that these angels have three pairs of wings. One pair covers their eyes because they're not good enough to look at God. Even though they're holy beings and they attend him, they're still not good enough to look at him. So two wings cover their eyes. The other two wings cover their feet. They aren't good enough for him to see their feet. Even though they're totally clean and they're totally holy and pure, they still are humbled before the Lord to cover their feet. Then with the third set of wings, they actually use those to fly. This is such a beautiful representation of humility and modesty before the Lord. These are seraphs which are a type of angel. I don't think anybody knows precisely what all the different angels look like, but there are cherubs, there are seraphs, there are archangels, and I'm sure there are others that the Bible doesn't really mention. A seraph is one of the attending types of angels. This is an angel that moves where the Lord goes and stays by his throne. 3. And this one hath called unto that, and hath said, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. The fullness of all the earth is his glory. His glory is shown in all of his creation, from a blade of grass to a mighty mountain, with its highest peak. And it says, Holy, 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 because he is Father, Son, and his Spirit, which we call the Holy Spirit. This is what the seraphs are saying back and forth to each other. They're calling the Lord Holy. 4. And the posts of the thresholds are moved by the voice of him who is calling, and the house is full of smoke. Jesus appeared as a pillar of smoke by day to the Israelites in the desert, and his smoke also filled the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord. And his smoke also filled the tabernacle when he met with Moses to speak to Moses about his people. And it says here, in the heavenly throne room, his smoke is filling the place, and that is his presence. The throne of God quakes. It says the posts of the thresholds are moved by his voice. This is Isaiah's great vision. He actually saw the literal throne of God. 5. And I say, Woe to me, for I have been silent, for a man unclean of lips am I. And in the midst of people, unclean of lips, I am dwelling, because the king, Jehovah of hosts, have my eyes seen. At this point, Isaiah panicked, because he knew that he wasn't holy enough to be in the presence of the Lord. And he was panicking with shame and fear, saying, Danger will come to me, because I've said things in the past that weren't holy. Now, we know Isaiah didn't cuss and swear, because he was a righteous man. But all of us, even if we never cussed, all of us have said ungodly things at times. We might have said a joke, or tried to draw attention to ourselves with our words, or made a flippant comment, or said something that wasn't reverent to another person. Anything we say that isn't what God would say is unholy, and that makes our mouths unclean. So Isaiah knew that he wasn't worthy to speak. 
and he was a righteous man. If Isaiah wasn't worthy to speak to God, there's no way that the rest of us are. 6. And flee unto me, doth one of the seraphs, and in his hand a burning coal, with tongs he hath taken it from off the altar. In God's throne room there is an altar that has burning coals of fire. He is a consuming fire, and his fire is love, and his fire judges, and it cleanses. One of these angels quickly rushed over to get a burning coal to cleanse the lips of Isaiah. 7. And he striketh against my mouth, and saith, Lo, this hath stricken against thy lips, and turned aside is thine iniquity, and thy sin is covered. The fire of God has now forgiven Isaiah for any sins that he wasn't previously forgiven of. No matter how righteous we are living, we always have sin on a daily basis because there's little thoughts, there's little attitudes in our heart that aren't very thoughtful or kind. 8. And I hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom do I send, and who doth go for us? And I say, Here am I, send me. The Lord is asking Isaiah, Are you willing to prophesy to the people? And Isaiah said, Yes, I will. Today there are hundreds of so-called prophets on the internet and they're fortune-telling. They want us to feel good and they want us to give them money. So they tell our fortune about all the blessings the Lord is going to give us in exchange for us giving them a donation. That is fortune-telling. That's what witches do. There is no prophet anywhere in the Old or the New Testament who accepted one penny from anyone. And we talked about this in earlier chapters. And what the prophets in the Bible spent 90% of their time doing is telling people to repent of their sins. He's saying that he's willing to tell the people to repent and to warn the people. Look at Moses. The Lord caused Moses to become a prophet, and Moses gave the people the law and told them to repent. The Lord sent Jonah to prophesy in Nineveh, and Jonah told people to repent. The Lord sent his own son, Jesus, who prophesied, and Jesus told the people to repent. 9. And he saith, Go, and thou hast said to this people, Hear ye to hear, and ye do not understand, and see ye to see, and ye do not know. God says, Tell the Israelites that they're spiritually blind and spiritually deaf, because they love their sin. When you love your sin, you eventually will become so demented in your mind that you will begin to believe that your sin is righteousness, and then you'll go into more sin, and you'll become blind and deaf to the word of God. The law of the Lord won't make any sense to you if you love your sin long enough. 10. Declare fat the heart of this people, and its ears declare heavy and its eyes declared dazzled, lest it see with its eyes, and with its ears hear, and its heart consider, and it hath turned back, and hath health. It sounds like the Lord is saying that he wants the people to be blind and deaf, and dazzled, fat, and heavy, and lazy. He's doing the same thing to the Israelites that he did to Pharaoh in Egypt. He's letting them go deeper into their own spiritual dementia. He's letting them become more insane than they already are because they love their sin. People make a big deal about how the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, but was he a Christian to begin with? Pharaoh practiced witchcraft and sorcery 
He hired witches to serve him and fortune tell for him and do divination. And he worshipped false gods. He worshipped animals. He already had a hard heart. The Lord just allowed it to get harder. Same thing with the Israelites. They're already practicing paganism. He isn't turning them into sinners. They were already full-blown sinners. 11. And I say, Till when, O Lord? And he saith, Surely till cities have been wasted without inhabitant, and houses without man, and the ground be wasted, a desolation. The Lord is telling Isaiah, These people are going to pay for their sins which is what we read in the last several chapters. The Lord was bringing down judgment. And again, they hadn't just sinned yesterday. This was after decades and decades and decades and all different kingships that they had been continuing to practice paganism. This judgment had been a long time coming. Isaiah said, How long are you going to punish the people? And the Lord said, Until their houses are empty and their land is desolate. 12. And Jehovah hath put man far off, and great is the forsaken part in the heart of the land. And this means that they will be driven out of their land. 13. And yet in it a tenth, and it hath turned, and hath been for a burning, as a teal tree, and as an oak, that in falling have substance in them. The holy seed is its substance. But the Lord says that he is going to preserve one-tenth of the people. They'll be like a stump that's left over from a tree. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 6.